chapter 28. Um, I mean, some scriptures will come off the, up on the screen as I go through it this morning. Um, but we're in the last uh, chapter of the book. Um, come to the end of our mini-series called Kingdom Advance, but that doesn't mean we stop advancing and go on to something else, just in case that's what you were thinking. Um, hope not, um, but we continue to advance. Uh, I love the book of Acts. It's uh, just great uh, story of uh, the work of God and uh, in it we've seen how how God takes ordinary people and works uh, in and through them in extraordinary ways as they step out of their comfort zones in the power of the Holy Spirit and uh, as they tell the good news as they uh, deliver the browns as they bring healing to the sick uh, we've seen that the early church was an organic, uh, fluid community. Um, and when it wasn't, uh, uh, very often persecution came and God used that to push them out of the nest and send them further abroad. And, but it was a community that was constantly being moulded and reframed according to God's purpose, but nevertheless proclaiming an unchanging message. And how it wasn't easy for them. Um, there, there were times of great challenge, times of great difficulty, suffering, and persecution, and yet, nevertheless, as you read this book with all that goes on in it, how in the midst of it all, there is an abundance of life. There is an abundance of life, the life of the Spirit, and uh, we need to recognize that. So, here we are in chapter 28 this morning, um, and we discover Paul finally landing in Rome, uh, following a long and arduous journey in which they were driven by ferocious storms uh, for two weeks, and uh, it was just darkness, and it ended in shipwreck. Um, I commend it to your attention to go back and just read the story. Every time I read it, I think, whoa, this is really good. You know, it's, it's, it's the stuff of adventure, isn't it, when you just read his, his journey from Jerusalem uh, across the seas and finally ending up in Rome. Uh, Acts, you'll have noticed, is a, an open-ended book. It has no formal conclusion to it, and that's because it is still being written. Uh, in many ways, we might say that we're the Acts 29 generation. You know, we're, we're, we are seeing the continual uh, follow-through of God's kingdom purposes through the power of his spirit. So that, that, that in many ways, Acts is still being written through your life and my life and our lives together, the church and across the nations, etc. And it's staggering to, to think of that. And uh, the movement of the spirit is just, just so fascinating um, you know, when you look at it here and you think how it's gone across continents, it's impacted nations and people groups right down to the present day. Yeah, there have been some mighty surges. There have been some setbacks as well along the way. But there's been further advancement. I just want to share with you just a few statistics to begin with, just to stir you and to excite you, as it were, because we, we live in a generation that tends to be quite negative with regard to Christianity. So it's good to be armed in some way with some of the facts and so in the first 350 years, Christianity grew at a phenomenal rate, and it's estimated that by uh, 350 AD, there were 30 million Christians. 30 million. Now, that's staggering. And one of the things you'll find as you read history is the historians find it very difficult to explain how uh, such a small group of people should become so large in such a short space of time. You know, because they look at it and they see this tiny little sect in Israel that suddenly mushrooms into this community that becomes a church that spreads through Israel. And then, 
out across into the Roman Empire in ever more dynamic ways. Historians struggle to explain the success of the early church, how it grew at such a phenomenal rate. Um, today, listen to this, there are an average of 160,000 people will hear, hear the message of salvation for the first time. Wow. And out of those, every hour, 1,600 will make a decision for Jesus Christ. That's thrilling, isn't it? This is what we are caught up in. This is the movement of the Spirit. It's thrilling that over these last few weeks, we've seen eight people make a commitment to Christ or recommitment through the Alpha. Hallelujah. Yeah, God is moving by his Spirit. An average of 3,500 new churches open every week around the world. Amazing, isn't it? In the 20th century, Christianity in Africa has exploded from an estimated population of around 8 or 9 million in, in 1900 to some 541 million people. And in the last 15 years alone, the church in Af Africa has grown by 51%. Wow, that's, that's staggering, isn't it? Brazil, which now has one of the largest evangelical populations in the world, having grown from 2 million in 1960 to 51.2 million in 2010. Over 100 mission agencies have emerged out of that, and they are sending over 2,000 Brazilian missionaries into 85 countries of the world. Wow. In Korea, Korea had no Protestant church in, in, in 1900. Today, there are over 7,000 such churches in the city of Seoul alone. Wow. And the largest church in the world can be found in that city, a church numbering 800,000 people. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's staggering, isn't it? And uh, I remember a number of years ago, I had the privilege of hearing the pastor of the church. And it's just an amazing, amazing story, amazing guy. In the last 15 years, it's believed that more Muslims have come to faith in Christ than in the past 15 centuries. In the Islamic Republic of, of Iran, Christianity is growing faster than any other country in the world, with tens of thousands abandoning the Islamic faith and turning to Jesus. Wow, staggering, isn't it? In China... A bastion of atheism, the church also has grown at a phenomenal rate. You can't keep it down, can you? Eh? They tried to do it in Russia, they tried, tried to do it in, in China. But the church has grown there at such a rate, it's, estimate, it's estimated 3 million in the in, in 1980s to over 100 million today, and that's a conservative estimate. Some estimates go way, way beyond that. But that is staggering, isn't it? <laughs> there where they have tried to, to get rid of the idea of God, to rule out Christianity, it is growing at a phenomenal rate. One of the things that we don't perhaps realise in the West today, and it's important that we do, when we, when we think about what's going on in Acts here as we come to the end of it, is the impact and importance of Christianity to the world in which we live. And lots of people are not aware of that. Most people in the West today don't realise, for example, that all that is good about the West uh, comes through Christian faith, through Christianity, through, through Jesus. I remember being in a, 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 years ago in a theological forum and, and uh, we had a speaker come and, and he shared that how this was, one of the things that was grabbing the attention of some of the Chinese professors was 
Why, do, why was Christianity so successful? All that is good about the West comes through the Christian faith, they recognise. So we want to know about Jesus. Could you set up some kind of course in our university so that we can understand something about Jesus? Wow, that's staggering, isn't it? And some years later, I've seen that written in the press as well. So when we think of it, those good things. So, for example, dignity, the sanctity and equality of men and women, human rights, freedom of speech, fair competition and solidarity, justice and mercy, free and independent nations, care for the poor, the sick, the dying, etc., have come through the gospel of the kingdom of God, through the preaching of Jesus Christ. In fact, some of the new, new atheists are beginning to, to ch- have a change of heart and a change of mind, and they're beginning to recognise that maybe the Enlightenment society of which we are part of may not have even been possible without Christianity. And are suggesting that though you may not believe in Christianity, it is absolutely necessary to the world in which we live. (laughs) That's quite a staggering statement, isn't it? From from atheists to say that kind of thing. So Douglas Murray, for example, a well-known atheist, has admitted in a recent interview Cut off from the source, that is Christianity is referring to, our conception of human rights may shrivel and die very quickly, leaving us fumbling about in a thick and impenetrable darkness. That's the assessment of a well-known atheist. And even Richard Dawkins, and I can trust you pray for these guys, I, I pray for him from time to time. You know, we, and we need to pray for them. Not, not so, oh, look, you know, talk about all the, the wrong words they're coming out with and how they're denying God. Pray for them. Pray for them. They're in darkness. But Richard Dawkins has, has rejected his belief that Christianity should be banned because, and this is the reason, it would give people a license to do really bad things. That's what he said not so long ago. So there's a change in his thinking, whereas at one time Christianity was an an evil to be got rid of. It was something that belonged to the dark ages when we were ignorant people and we didn't really know any better. But now we know there's no God, we can work out how to do life uh, together. The reality is we can't. He's realised that we need Christianity uh, for the safety of the world. That is quite quite some staggering statement. So, you know, put those into your armoury. You know, we live in this world which constantly says, you know, the, the church in the West is dying. Brothers and sisters, it's not dying. You know, all over the world the Spirit is moving, but God is moving in our own country as well. There's some amazing stories taking place. God is moving in the United States as well. Some amazing stories taking place. Yeah, there's darkness around, the stuff that can get you depressed, but we need to look at Jesus. We need to look at what God is doing on planet Earth. And uh, some amazing, amazing stories out there. So, here in this particular chapter... Um, Acts chapter 28, uh, verses 23 and 24, let's read them. So a time was set, and on that day a large number of people, they came to Paul's lodging and explained and testified to them about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. And then if you drop down, we're going to go down to verse 28. So I want you to know that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles, and they will accept it. And for the next two years... Paul lived in Rome at his own expense, and he welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Maybe it's not obvious in this chapter, and maybe um, it's it's more of a a casting our minds back over the book, but my first point is this, is kingdom advance comes through gospel transformation. Kingdom advance comes 
through gospel transformation. Acts begins with the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, and it ends with the preaching and teaching of the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ. And it was a radically life-changing message. It didn't just come and make you feel better, it actually came and changed people's lives. It wasn't feeling better, it wasn't simply knowing that I've been forgiven of my sins and, and I have a home in heaven when I die, which is good and something to be celebrated. It was a message that transformed lives and communities. And one of the reasons the early church grew so rapidly was because they did not live in double-glazed houses. They lived in places that didn't have windows in them. They lived in places where they had narrow streets. There wasn't a big gap between this side of the road and the other side of the road. There were narrow streets. People knew what was going on in your house. They did. They knew what kind of person you were. They knew what kind of marriage you had. They knew what kind of family life was going on there. And one of the things that impacted the early world of Christianity was the transformed lives. People looked at them and said, goodness me, you have changed. What's happened? Your, your marriage, you're going about your work in a different way. What's, what's happened to you? And so when we move away from the, Acts of the, uh, uh, the book of Acts we, 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 and we leave the apostles behind, there are no great, as it were, men and women of God who stand out in that period. It was, it was the influence of transformed lives that impacted the world in which they lived and caused the gospel to advance ever further into the Roman Empire. Changed lives, impacted that world, and caused about a transformation in society. You know, I, I love stories of, of revival, and I, I think particularly of one of uh, the revivals that took place under Wesley and Whitfield all those times ago, all those years ago, and that were the beginning of the, the Methodist Church. And... Uh, they, they, they moved out of their buildings and they, they preached the gospel in the open field. And, and miners would come from their, their workplaces and, and they were not showered, they just came as they were. They were hungry for something better than the life that they were experiencing. Yes, they didn't really know what, but there was a hunger there and they, they heard the gospel was being preached, much like in Jesus' day and the Apostles' day. And they came and they listened to the word of God. And as that word was proclaimed, and God melted their hearts, and, 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 and the tears would cut valleys through the, the, all, all the dust and the dirt that was on their faces as they, as they just wept in sorrow and in joy as they encountered Jesus. And, and their lives were changed. And you hear how in stories, I think it is out of Wales and the Welsh Revival, how even the pit ponies struggled to understand their new masters because they lived such changed lives. They were no longer swearing at them like they used to do in order to get them to do what they wanted to do. Changed lives. Changed lives. Not always the case today. Frequently, we, perhaps we can come to faith. We, we come to a, a living faith in Jesus whereby we know we are forgiven. We, we know that we have assurance of forgiveness and, and a home in heaven when we die, but maybe we're, we're a bit like dry drunks and we kind of, we've stopped the drinking, but in reality we've not really changed. The things that led to the drinking are still there. They've never been resolved. The underlying issues have not been dealt with. And we can be like that as Christians. We, we can come to, to, to real faith in Christ, but 
Perhaps we, we fail to face the issues that go on in life. We're, we're no longer doing the things perhaps that we used to in some measure. Some, some aspect has changed, but the, the internal thing has not really been worked out. The pain still exists, and therefore we don't get better. Why? Because the work of transformation is challenging. The work of transformation is hard. When you look at the early church and how they used to disciple the, the early believers, uh, they would take them through a program where they would see deliverance, where they would see healing in order to be brought into a place of wholeness where they could go and live boldly for Jesus Christ. It's easier to feel better than to get better. But God doesn't want us just to feel better. He wants us to get better. He wants us to be made whole in every respect. And I want to encourage anyone here this morning who may be struggling in some area where, where you've been bound, uh, maybe for years, and, and you, you, know, you know you're a Christian, you know you're forgiven, you, you know the Father loves you, you know, you know you have a home in heaven when you die. But does that, that place in your life that you've never seen victory over, does that place in your life where you've, you've never seen healing, I want to tell you this morning, I want to say, that Jesus is, the name of Jesus has not lost its power as the centuries have gone by. It's not like a battery that, you know, when you stick it in, it's got, oh, power, and you, you start the little toy up and something goes running off down the room with a, an immense amount of power, and then after you've used it several times, mm, 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 mm. the name of Jesus is not like that. There's power in the name of Jesus. To see every bondage broken, to see deep emotional healing, to see us being transformed in, in, in such a way that we can be all that God wants us to be in our generation. And that's what he's after, isn't he? He's, he's after raising up men and women of God. People who, who know how to fight the good fight, to keep the faith, to see those victories day by day. So wherever you are at today, there's, there's power in the gospel. Sometimes we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. In fact, we frequently have to preach the gospel to ourselves. I preach the gospel to myself. And we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. The process of change is one that goes on through the whole of our lives. We're ever being changed from one degree of glory to another. Secondly, kingdom advance comes through, and I've, I've called it stickability. I mean, you can put in there steadfastness, you can put perseverance, you can put spiritual ruggedness, if you like, or you can put faithful allegiance. In 28, verses 1 to 5 there, we, we read of Paul, um, where he says, where Luke's saying here, once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta and the people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire. A poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people on the island saw it hanging from his hand, and they said to each other, A murderer, no doubt, though he escaped the sea, uh, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. How fickle we can be, isn't it? You know, one minute, oh, you must be some awful criminal for this to happen to you. Next minute, oh, you must be a god, and we'll, we'll worship you. And, um, but, you know, when I think of Paul's life, when I think of his, his journey, his life and his ministry, it wasn't straightforward. 
It wasn't a walk in the park. You know, so often today we, we kind of like, we want life to be a walk in the park. God, can't you make my life a little bit easier? Well, actually it's not because we, we live on a battlefield. <laughs> you know, we, we are caught up on a battleground. And uh, we're called to fight. We're called to be steadfast. We're called to, to persevere. We're called to a, a spiritual ruggedness. We're called to a, a faithful uh, allegiance. I mean, Paul's life and ministry wasn't a walk in the park by any means. When you read 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24-29, he says this, Five times I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned once. I was shipwrecked three times. Endured sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, not to mention the pressure of caring for the churches. I mean, you know, just imagine the kind of life that he was living, the burden that he was carrying, the difficulties he encountered day by day. So in these last few chapters in Acts, he's been through a torrid time. He's been arrested, he's been imprisoned, he's been tried, he's, he's appealed to Caesar, and he's found himself on a boat to Rome, where he ends up under house arrest. Well, imagine, I might think, God, I didn't think this was your will for my life. You know, I, I, yeah, I had passion to get to Rome one day, but I didn't imagine it working out this way. But no, he, he, he recognises uh, God in, in his daily life. He let, recognises his, God's presence in all the ups and downs. No way was, did Jesus ever say it would be easy. It wasn't easy for the early disciples. They were people just like us, but they pressed on. And Paul never allowed his circumstances to get the better of him. No, while under our house arrest, he writes to the churches. And so we have the letters of Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon, all written while he was under house arrest. And while he's there, he's teaching all who are allowed to come to him. He welcomes them. He spends his, his days and nights teaching them. So he doesn't he doesn't sort of retreat into self-pity and say, oh God, why, why am I in this situation? God, why am I in, why, why am, why am I in this situation? Why don't you, you just get me out of it? He's actually looking for ways to constructively forward the kingdom of God, to advance the kingdom. One of the things that Paul says in Philippians, he says, I don't, I don't count myself to have arrived. But I press on to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. That's a challenge for, for every one of us this morning. Do we, do we have that attitude, or, or are, are, we, are we easy pickings for the enemy, whereby he can come along and just, you know, catch us in, in somewhere or other, and catch us off guard and, and take us out? Are we learning to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might? Are we learning to put on the whole armour of God? Are we learning to, to fight as Paul fought? Maybe that you need to make that decision before you go out this morning. God, that's me. I, I just, I've just settled where I am this morning. I, I just, I just, fight's been difficult. I've been some, through some difficult times and, and don't want to undermine any of those difficulties, but... God, I realize how the enemy's used it to take me out of the battle. By your grace, I want to put on the armor, and I'll pick up the weapons, and we'll go into battle. I want to go into battle again. Yeah? You know, when you're one with God, you're in the majority. <laughs> it makes all the difference. 
If you allow the enemy to knock you down and keep you out, he'll run rings around you all the time. I'm going to be like Paul when he got to the end of his life, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, where he says, I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith. In my dying day, and I'm, I, I'm praying that I will be conscious when I die. You know, I don't want to die in my sleep. I, as a young person, I used to think that was quite a good idea, you know, so I wouldn't know anything about it. But I'd like to be alive when I die. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? I, I would like to be awake when I die. <laughs> that's better, isn't it? I would like to be very much alive and awake when I die. You know? To be like Abraham, to bless my family, to bless those around me. Um, Paul, Paul says here, you know, I, I fought a good fight. I, I want to get to that day and be able to say, I'm still alive, if my family is still alive, those around me, I'm going to be able to say, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Yeah. Is that your ambition? Is that your ambition? Or are you just living in the moment? Whatever be will be, and you're just taking it whichever way it comes. Or is it that ambition, actually? I'm going to keep fighting. And I want to get to the end of the journey and say, I have fought. A good fight. I have kept the faith, and therefore there is laid up for me. Oh. Yeah. Number three, kingdom advance comes through acts of compassion. And in verse seven here, uh, seven to nine, near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island, and he welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. And as it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery. And Paul went in and prayed for him. Paul acted with compassion. And through, throughout the Gospels, throughout the Acts, you see this constant uh, reference to compassion. You see acts of compassion taking place all the time. Paul goes in and he visits him. doesn't say, I'm not going near him. doesn't say, I'll pray for you from a distance. He goes and he visits him. And throughout the Gospels, we're told that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them. When he looked at them, something happened in his heart and in his mind. I think one of the biggest, biggest problems that we have today is we see so much on our televisions that we can become anaesthetized to dire chronic situations that we can end up not knowing how to deal with it, and so we, we kind of shut that one off. But compassion is so important to the message of the gospel. Compassion is so important to, to the healing of the sick. Kingdom compassion is more than empathizing and comforting someone. As good as that is, it's a desire to see them in a better place. It's a desire to see them delivered, a desire to see them healed. It's a desire to see them whole and in body and mind and, and set free to be all that God made them to be. Hallelujah. That's what the gospel is about. Not just saving you and getting you home to heaven when you die, but actually enabling you to be all that God calls you to be in life here and now until the time he takes you home. The love and compassion of Jesus caused him to enter into this world to come down to our level 
to serve the needs of those he encountered, to bring deliverance, to bring healing, to, to bring wholeness of mind and being. Again, one of the staggering statistics about the early church is it very quickly gained a reputa- reputation as f- for caring for the sick. If you were sick in those days, basically bad luck. There weren't hospitals around. There wasn't a local surgery around. There weren't all the resources that are available to us today in our modern world. It was, it was bad for you if you were sick in any way whatsoever. But the early church very early on gained a reputation and it was known for, for the healing that happened as a result of the prayers. Yeah. And so, and by the year 250, they were feeding more than 1,500 of the hungry and destitute in Rome every day. Wow. So the early church was known for its love and its compassion for the poor and the needy, the broken, etc. Society in that day had no concept of the dignity of humanity, of the sanctity of life. That comes through the Christian message. I wonder, who could you show such love and compassion to this week? Is there a colleague or somebody in your street? Someone you could go out of your way and just in some way bring something of the heart of God to them? Maybe you thought, I couldn't do that. You know, who, who am I? But one with God is, wow, just amazing. You know, and you, you partner with God and you do it in his name and his power. Is there someone that you could go to this week with such a demonstration of love, compassion? And you never know that through multiple such demonstrations, somebody suddenly falls and they warm up to the good news of Jesus. We live in a hard world and people need to know that we love and care for them. Number four, kingdom advance comes through demonstrations of the power of God. And so in verses eight and nine there, as it happened, Publius's father was ill with fever and dysentery, and Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, he healed him. And then all the other sick people on the island came and were healed. I I mean, I love this. (laughs) So Paul has compassion on one man. (laughs) Who knows what your compassion might do, you know? But Paul has compassion on one man, and he prays for him, and he's healed. And it's like the rest of the world, the known world there, the island kind of know about it. Suddenly all the sick are coming and saying, I want to be healed too. Please pray for me. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? Healing and deliverance were an essential characteristic of both of the ministry of, the G- of Jesus and of the Acts of the Apostles and of the early church. Um, we live in a day and age which tends to be very critical and some have attempted to argue with regard to the book, the that the miraculous actually tails off in the book of, of Acts, and therefore it ended with the Acts of the Apostles. I want, to, I want to point them to these two verses and say, no, it doesn't. Right here in these two verses, there's an explosion of healing taking place. There's an explosion of the miraculous taking place. So it's not tailing off at all. And actually, if you go and do church history, you'll discover that church history has many, many records of such instances where people were healed in the name of Jesus. And uh, so, we are called to greater works. We need to be praying for 
believing and pressing in on this, on this area. I think of John Wimber, uh, some of you will have heard of, but that's, a lot of you don't, but I mean, he used to be part of the Righteous Brothers many years ago, and um, he got saved, and he started going to church. And after he'd been going to church for a while, he kind of he got hold of the, the, the pastor, and he, he said to him, look, he said, when are we going to do the stuff? You know, and, and, the, and the pastor said to him, well, you know, what, what, what do you mean, the stuff? Well, the stuff in the Bible, you know, in this book. And, well, what do you mean, the stuff? Well, he said, that stuff that Jesus did and, and the apostles did. And he, he said, we should be doing it. He said, when are we going to do the stuff? <laughs> we could ask the same question, can't we, of ourselves. When are we going to do the stuff? When will we step out in praying for a sick person and provide an opportunity for God to miraculously step in and bring healing to them? You know? When are we going to do the stuff? I, I love those stories. It's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to us all. So easy to say, well, it's, it's good to say, have you been to the doctor? But it's also good to say, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? God is still in the business of healing today. And we need to be pressing in on that area. Another challenge for you. Who could you pray for? For somebody, member of your family who's sick colleague that you're working with, somebody in your street who perhaps could do with prayer. Have the boldness to say, would you mind if I pray for you? Number five, kingdom advance then comes through proclaiming the good news of the king and his kingdom. Paul was in an environment that was very much like our own, and we've, we've already read the verses there at the end, uh, with many ideas, with many philosophies abounding. Uh, there was a myriad of king voices uh, competing for people's attention. Uh, it was a liberal environment in any way, in every way, as much as ours is. And it was hostile to the gospel, every bit of it. Um, but this wasn't a problem for Paul. He took it as an opportunity. So people would come to him and say, we'd like to hear your views, as if, you know, we would just want to hear your views. But he was going to share with them the most powerful truth in the world, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save. He is the king, and this is his kingdom. And uh, so he takes every opportunity to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he, and he speaks with all boldness. And, and this is where we need the Holy Spirit, because we can feel weak in and of ourselves. And we need the Holy Spirit to grant us that boldness. As we, perhaps as we go to talk to somebody, Lord, give me the boldness. Remember when I used to do a village of that years ago, and I used to walk around the streets and knock on doors and I used to dislike the ones that got big, long gravel drives. Because as, as I walked up the path, it's like crunch, 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 crunch. And, and it's like, they're going to know I'm coming before I've got there. You know, and, um, and, and it kind of, and, and it's, what about the dogs? That was another thing. What about the dogs? Uh, <laughs> yeah, not to sort of um, drive the boldness out of you, but just to know the power of the Holy Spirit. So, as we draw to a close, we don't proclaim a church, a movement, a domination. Rather, we we proclaim Jesus. And not simply Jesus, but as it says here, which is a, another sermon itself, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a message of a, a saviour king. It, it calls for belief in, in Jesus for salvation and, and allegiance to him as the king of our lives. And the message of the kingdom is, is far more powerful, far more exhilarating, far more demanding, fulfilling than what is found in so much of Western Christianity. 
Jesus came that we, we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. The good news is of, of such a nature that it says when anyone encounters it out of sheer joy, they would go and sell everything that they had in order to possess it. And the value of it was such that it was worth losing a hand or an eye for. Wow, that is something, isn't it? So as we draw to a close, as we come to the end of this book, we're in Acts chapter 29. It's still being written. You're part of the journey, part of the story. I am, we are, together. Healing, deliverance, salvation, transform lives, living into our new identity, recognising that each one of us is called for such a time as this. You are, I am, we are, together. The need to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be tellers of the good news and demonstrators of the compassion and grace of God. The need to be bold and strong in our own generation and fight the good fight.